Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you back to our series, Summer Cruise. Uh, we are in the middle of summertime, and I know where some people may be doing their summer vacation or staycation, uh, the same is here at Timber Creek Church. We are going through a cruise through the Bible, and we're actually looking at several different boats in the Bible. And before we jump in, I want to welcome those of you that are watching online and all of our guys at Dieball and Duncan. We're so glad you're with us. Come on, everybody, give it up for all of our locations. Yeah. Thank you. Well, hey, listen, we're going to uh, jump right back into the same story that we were with last, last week. Uh, we talked about a, 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 a story that's hard to swallow, uh, no pun intended, actually all pun intended, and that is Jonah. And we're going to continue on with the story of, of Jonah. We talked last week about how uh, Jonah ran from God and how we run from God. And so uh, I don't want to delay it. I want to jump right into it. And let's recap a little bit about where we left Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, uh, verses 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. It is possible that you can have something great in your life that's also wicked. And Nineveh, although it was great, although it was an awesome city, it was an awful society. And when Jonah is given this assignment, Jonah basically does what some of us do when we're given a tough assignment. He, he goes, beep, beep, psh. he's like roadrunner and he bolts from the assignment. And here's what he does. Jonah ran away from the Lord. And he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, it was a port there, where he found ship bound for the Tarshish port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. We said last week that Jonah was saying in so many words what you and I say. It was thousands of years ago, but today we say the same thing. We say basically, God, I still believe in you, but I'm not going to do what you ask me to do. I believe you are who you say you are, but when it comes to this in my life or that in my life or this, this edge over here or this what I want to call gray area, but your word, of, your word has said, no, this is pretty clear, then we say, I believe you, but I, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. And what would have been a pretty easy assignment from the port of Joppa to Nineveh, just a few hundred miles, instead, Jonah jumps on a ship and he's headed all the way through the Mediterranean Sea, a 2,700-mile journey, all the way over here to the tip of Spain to Tarshish. Listen, if you're going to run from God, like stay in your bedroom, hide the knives and the scissors, don't chew on any gum. Like that's my, like, like be careful. Don't just get on a boat and, and, and have like a four-week cruise here. But what happens in this story, and I ended last week with this thought, and I want to start with this thought today, and it's this. God gets involved in our lives not to pay us back, but to bring us back. And so what we're going to read now through the rest of the story of Jonah, we're going to read the reality of God not paying Jonah, not punishing Jonah, but actually providing a way for Jonah to redeem his running. So we pick up in the next verse, Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. It wasn't just that the ship was going to sink. It wasn't just that they were taking on water. It was such a violent typhoon. It was such a violent hurricane that they were going to break up. The boat was going to fall uh, apart. 
And today what I want to do is piggybacking on last week of, of learning from a runaway, I want to take some takeaways from a runaway. What are some thoughts in this story? The book of Jonah, only four chapters long, uh, but actually uh, 48 verses. You can read it in a few minutes, um, but it actually is packed full of some takeaways from a runaway. So here, here we go, right there, if you're taking notes there at Dieball and Duncan, right here in the Lufkin location. Number one, number one takeaway from a runaway. Number one, it is hard to run from someone who is omnipresent. It's hard to run from somebody who holds, hand, holds time in his hand, the, 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 the one who invented the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea. It's hard to run from God. You can run, but you cannot outrun God. You can run, but you cannot hide. And how many of us have ever been there when we're trying to, to run from God? You just, you cannot do it. And when we run, it's like fighting uphill. It is an uphill battle uh, the whole way. And here's what it looks like when you're trying to run from God. You, you're, you're dealing with God who loves you so much, he will, he'll prick your heart. He'll convict you. He'll put a thought in your mind. He'll remind you. He'll bring people in your path that will say, are you sure you're going the right direction? He will, he will basically, you know, he'll, he'll squeeze your leg underneath the table like, like someone in your life has ever done when you're saying something you shouldn't say or you're getting ready to think of something to say. And, you know, it's like, has God, let me ask you this, has God ever sent you a message through Wi-Fi? Has he ever sent you a message through Wi-Fi? I get messages from the Wi-Fi all the time. I'm not talking about Wi-Fi Okay, that, that's, not the mess, that's not the Wi-Fi I'm talking about. I get messages from the Wi-Fi, 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 okay? Like, it, it can be across the room and there be 50 people there. It can be just sitting in bed talking about something and she just looks over and I get a message through Wi-Fi. It comes in crystal clear, a whole lot better than my current, you know, uh, Wi-Fi, uh, uh, you know, deal. She's pretty clear, what I'm trying to say is it's hard to run from God. It's hard to run from someone who's omnipresence. And he gives us that squeeze. He gives us that nudge. He gives us that conviction. We can't run from him. And he will stir things in our lives to get us back to him. Another takeaway from a runaway, number two, my choices impact other people whether I realize it or not. Your choices impact people, period. Consider you sloughing off on a sports team. If you don't give it 100% on the court, the rest of the team suffers. Your choice to go halfway into it is going to affect the other team, whether you realize it or you don't. The same is true with our choices and with sin. Every choice I make has consequences. Every bad decision I make, every bad choice can affect other people around me. So Jonah gets on this ship that's just not just him rowing the boat merrily, merrily down the Mediterranean. He's on a ship with several different sailors and a captain and an entire crew. And he's sitting there and he's on the boat. And here's what happens. The rest of the sailors are affected by what God is trying to do with Jonah. Here's how it reads. The sailors were afraid. And each, they cried out to his own God. 
One had a God of the water, one had a God of the land, one had the God of the fish, one had a God of the, the, the turtles, whatever. They're all crying out, doing their own thing, burning their incense, and they're crying out to God, and they're throwing the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. It was costing them something, cargo, because of what Jonah had done. Listen, Mom, listen, Dad, you don't sin in a vacuum. The choices you make as a family can affect your entire family. The decisions you make on who you're going to serve and how you're going to serve them. It affects everybody whether you realize it or not. Because here's the crazy thing. As they're throwing cargo over, okay, they, they got boxes full of bananas thrown overboard to try and lighten the load of the ship. To try and calm things down. To try and get things to be soothed. Here's what Jonah's doing. Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. He was oblivious to the impact he was making on the entire boat. Now that's, that's, that's us. We can be oblivious. And some of you are upset with somebody who's oblivious. Some, some of you are, are mad at someone, bitter towards someone who's oblivious to what they ever even did to you. What I want to say to you is you got to let that go. you got to trust God. God. God has a way of bringing them back. You let God be God. You focus on you and your relationship with the Lord. The story continues. The captain went to him and said, Jonah, how can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. In, in other words, the captain's saying you need to do what everybody else is doing. They're calling on their gods. Maybe you need to call on your God. Meanwhile, while the captain is below deck talking to Jonah, the rest of the sailors say to each other, come on now, we got to cast some lots. We got to roll the dice. We got get the yacht. Where's the Yahtzee game? Get the Yahtzee out. Get the dice out. And he's got the Yahtzee. We got to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And so they cast lot. They, they roll the dice and <laughs> Yahtzee. And it it spells out Jonah. You know, that, that's exactly what happens. It like Jonah got snake eyes, and they all look at him, and he's looking at them, and they're looking at him, and he's like, ah, uh, time to fess up. And so they surround Jonah, and they say this. They ask him, tell us, Jonah, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? What does the fox say? Wait, no, that's, that's not in there. They're grilling Jonah with all these questions. Finally, Jonah answers, okay, look, 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 look. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, I love this. This terrified them. Why? Because they're in the middle of the sea. Like, if you're going to be frustrated with your God, don't, don't go to, to the place that God made. And they're, they are terrified. They say, what have you done Great Scott, great Jonah. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. Things aren't slowing down. Just because he confessed that, that uh, he's done some things, there was still some collateral about ready to happen. They asked him, what should we do to, for you to make the sea calm down for us? What, what do we got to do? We got to pray. We got to bite our bottom lip. Do we got to give an offering? Do we need to, 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 to dance around? What do we need to do? And Jonah gives them an answer. He basically says, you're going to have to sacrifice me. And he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. 
I know that it is my fault. Everybody, all locations, say that with me. It is my fault. One more time. Here we go. It is my fault. Oh, my goodness. Those are beautiful words. Every once in a while, we've got to take responsibility for stuff. I wonder how many of us are still refusing to take responsibility for a wound Take responsibility for an action that caused some collateral damage. And here Jonah is in the middle of a a ship that's about to go under. And he's got the wherewithal and the clarity to say, this is my fault. It's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So just throw me overboard, he says. Now here's here's what I find interesting with the guys. They know that he's serving the, 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 the God of land and sea. And so instead of just saying, great idea, and throwing him, instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They, they tried to row back to land. They could not, though, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Listen to me, everyone. Listen to me, Dival. You cannot win a rowing competition with God. You can't win that competition. You've got to surrender you got to surrender to the strength of the Lord convicting your heart. We all have to surrender to that reality. And even though the storm got bigger and they couldn't outrow him, they finally, they finally succumbed to Jonah's plan. And they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. They're covering all their bases. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they take Jonah And they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. It's what I've I've entitled this message this weekend, Man Overboard. Jonah goes overboard. They grab him by the collar of his polo shirt and by the belt loops of his jeans. And they say, one and a two and a... They took Jonah, and they threw him overboard. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Here's what's interesting. The assignment that God had given Jonah was to go and preach against the wickedness of Nineveh. But what's interesting is even as he's running, there's an anointing on his life. There's like something about his life that throwing him overboard putting him back where he belonged, going back to where he needed to go, like Jonah's life impacted these people. Choices will impact people around you, whether you realize it or not. Good choices will impact people, bad choices, and it just so happens that Jonah, taking responsibility, led this boat to salvation in God, giving vows to the one true God, not just their own idea of God. What a takeaway. Here's another thought from this story of Jonah and the fish. Uh, Number three, I am far too loved to be left alone. People that have run from God, they've said to me in in, in different ways. They've said, uh, you know, if I came back to church, people would just call me a hypocrite. They, I, I've just done too much junk in my life. I've got too much history to, to really bow a knee. Or, I, I would, but, you know, God's, he's, he, he, I've kind of like gone too far. I've gone too far. No, 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 no. You are far too loved to be left where you are. You're far too loved to be left alone. 
Now, sometimes the way God now interjects in our lives won't always be pleasant. It won't always be a, a beautiful thing. Sometimes it can be a rough thing, a tough thing, an ugly thing. But God will in, involve himself not to pay you back, but to bring you back. And that's what happens in verse 17 of the first chapter. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish as Jonah is trying to tread water before he goes under and runs out of strength. The Lord provides a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Notice something important on this verse. It doesn't say, now the Lord punished Jonah with a huge fish. It says, the Lord provided a huge fish. Sometimes what you think is a punishment from the Lord may be the provision of the Lord. Sometimes where the Lord you think is punishing you because you got caught. (laughs) No, 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 no. In fact, write it down. Number four, this is another takeaway. Your consequences might just be your salvation. Listen, you got caught in the middle of the affair. And now you're facing consequences. Those consequences might just be your salvation. You got caught in the middle of doing something you ought not to have done. You you got confronted by a friend, by a loved one. Someone has finally just said, listen, we got to have an intervention here. You can't keep living the way you're living. And now it's, it's made some tension in the relationship. That tension, which is a consequence of behavior, might just be your salvation. Listen. Dieball and Duncan, those of you that are guys that are facing some consequences of some actions a couple of months ago, a couple of years ago, a couple of decades ago. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just a way that God finally got your attention so that it wouldn't just be consequences that don't lead to anything, but consequences that lead to salvation. And here's what happens as Jonah is swallowed by a fish, the next chapter of this four-chapter book starts with Jonah inside the fish. And from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. This is the first time we see him communicating back. He was communicating to the captain. He was talking to the sailors. Ah, it's, it's me. I'm in trouble. But it really wasn't him talking to God. And it's in this moment, in the quiet in the stillness, in the stinkiness, in the bowels of this fish that that Jonah begins to pray. Again, I want to remind you another takeaway. Number five, it's never too late to pray. It's never too late to pray. No matter what you face, no matter how much darkness you've put yourself in, no matter how much darkness you feel surrounded by. Listen, it's never too late to pray. It's never too late to cry out to God for the first time or to cry out to God for the seventh time or to cry out to God for the first time in a long time. It's never too late to pray. And I invite you, if you've ever felt in a dark place, to pray the prayer that Jonah prayed. All of chapter two is simply the prayer of Jonah. The entire, the entire chapter is dedicated to Jonah realizing how he was high and then he went way low to where the, the mountains grow out of the sea, the Bible says. And he says it's from this deep, low, dark, dingy place that the salvation of the Lord came to me. And I want you to know that, that, 
There's never really a need for a miracle if there's not a problem. And so when we face problems in our lives, it, it sets God up for a miracle. And here there's a miracle that, that Jonah has sustained for a few days. And it's a miracle that the radar of this fish takes him directly to the shore of Nineveh. And Jonah chapter 2 ends, it starts with a prayer inside a fish. And it ends like this, then God spoke to the fish and it, and it, and it vomited up Jonah on the seashore. Can you imagine three days? There Jonah is vomited up on the seashore, men and women laying out on their towels with the beach. You know, they're there at the Nineveh Marriott and there Jonah comes out. He's got seaweed around his neck. He's bleached from all the acid in the stomach. He smells, you know, unpleasant. And here's Jonah, a mess of a man, not just like a reflection of what he was. And what does God do at that moment? Now you're going to watch the city. Now I'm going to tell you what to do. Now it's plan B. No, 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 no. God puts him right back on track, right where he started. Jonah chapter 3. God spoke to Jonah a second time. God's not done talking with you, everybody. He's not done speaking until you, uh, until you breathe your last, until you are face to face. And even then, he's going to speak to you more. But on this side of eternity, he's never done speaking to you. God spoke to Jonah a second time. Up on your feet, on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach to them. They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. It's basically a second chance. It's a second chance, but it's the same assignment. Write that down in your notes. Second chance, same assignment. Every single one of us have been given the same assignment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And with that love and with that clarity, we're to go and make disciples and, and to be a blessing to others. Teach them the way of the word of God. And, and, and God's going to be with us through that. It's why he gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to be witnesses to the beautiful gospel, the good news of Jesus. We, you may have a second, third, fifth, eighth chance. Your assignment is the same. We're all to speak of the resurrection of Christ. The goodness of God not staying dead but being alive. That's your job it's my job not just because I'm a pastor I happen to be part of the 0.001 percent of people that receive a paycheck for doing the great commission but we're all responsible to go and make disciples we're all responsible to tell of this incredible news and so Jonah as turned around as he may have been as grateful for life and clean air as he may have been in that moment he starts off into Nineveh. And we pick up the story. This time Jonah started off straight for Nineveh. He didn't go to Joppa to go to Tarshish. He's going straight towards Nineveh, obeying God's orders to the letter, to the, to the T. Nineveh was a big city, very big. 
It took three days to walk across it. And so Jonah's not only been running from God and now three days in the belly of the fish, now he's three days walking through the city to get to his platform, to get to the place, I guess the middle of the town square. Maybe it's where the palace opens up into the atrium. Maybe it's, it's where the hubbub of city life takes place. Maybe it's where most people congregate, congregate and they, they, they have uh, the farmer's market over there. What, whatever it is, he gets to the middle of the city and it takes him three days to get there and Jonah enters the city went one day walk and preaches in 40 days is what he says in 40 days Nineveh Nineveh's going down Nineveh's going to be smashed he preached the reality of what God had said preach against their wickedness preach that I'm going to destroy their city and you know, I wonder what Jonah thought was going to happen next. I wonder if Jonah thought, this city's going to be smashed by a God that you don't even believe in. And I know I'm a Hebrew and you hate everybody that's not an Assyrian and I'm your enemy. But, but he's going to smash the city. And he, he may have just like, and waited for the javelin through his throat. He may have waited to be tied up by his feet and drugged through the city by a chariot. And he waited to see how they would respond and see what kind of war cry was going to be called against Jonah and how he was going to be chopped into pieces while kept alive or skinned alive like they were known for. But, but here's what the people do. The people don't grab their javelin. The people don't grab the rope. The people don't grab their knives. The people of Nineveh listened and trusted God. They, they what? <laughs> These ruthless, bloodthirsty, sadistic rapists stopped and listened to Jonah? I don't know. Maybe it was because he, he had been spat up by a fish that it gave him a little bit more clout. Maybe it was that he was bold enough, but something took place, and they listened, and they trusted God. And here's what happens. They proclaimed a citywide fast, and they dressed in burlap to show their repentance. Everyone did it, rich and poor, famous and obscure, leaders, followers. You know that's who we're after here at Timber Creek, a church anyone can come to. We're after those that are, that, that, that are rich and poor, famous, obscure, leaders, followers, you name it. It's a church anyone can come to. And we're after presenting the gospel to where people might listen and obey and repent and find new life and new hope. And not only was it the people in the city, the Bible says that when the message reached the king of Nineveh, the main guy, the big, the, the big kahuna, he got up off his throne. And that's really what all we do. That's what we all do when, when we repent. We've got to get up off our own throne of pride, our own throne of being right, our own throne of being our own God, being our own king and surrendering to what to what God might say. He got off his throne, threw down his royal robes, dressed in burlap, and he sat down in the dirt. And then the king, in this surrendered, humble position, he issued a public proclamation throughout Nineveh. Send up a cry for help to God. Everyone must turn around, turn back from an evil life and the violent ways that stain their hands. And he says, who knows? I mean, they don't even know. They're just doing whatever it takes. They're, who knows? Maybe God will turn around and change his mind about us. Maybe he'll quit being angry with us and he will let us live. Let me give you this other takeaway on this second assignment, the same assignment. None of us start at scratch with anyone. 
when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus, you don't have to start with scratch with anyone. We just join God where he's already working. Obviously, God was doing something supernatural because this moment is one of the greatest evangelistic moments in biblical history. More people come to God and bow in this moment than is recorded in just about the entire historical understanding of a God who so loved the world that he gave his son. This is a beautiful evangelistic moment. And God isn't angry. He's not angry with them. In fact, here's what God does. God saw what they had done, that they had turned away from their evil lives. He did change his mind about them. God is ready to change his mind about you. The way you think that he needs to change his mind, he changes his mind about you. He's changed his mind about you. What he said he would do to them, he didn't do. He spared the city. I've said it before like this. Before God plays wipeout, he provides a way out. Before, before God played wipeout on you, he, he provides a way out for you. And so what does Jonah do in the middle of this moment of unbelievable grace and mercy and repentance? Well, Jonah, uh, they take him up on, onto their shoulders and they say, hip, hip, hooray for Jonah, our evangelist. Uh, yay. And he says, oh, I love you guys. You're amazing. And they, they carry him to the city gates. And there the city gates, he walks back to the shore of Nineveh. And there the big fish is waiting for him. The big fish, the mouth opens. And, and like, a, like, like a staircase, that, that tongue, just like a pink staircase. And Jonah walks back up onto the staircase. And he turns around and he waves at him. And then he gets back into the fish and he goes back to Joppa. No, that's not what happens. No. This isn't SpongeBob SquarePants. This really, it may seem like that, but it's true. It's real. It really happened. And here's how Jonah responds. The Bible says that Jonah was furious. After he had cried out to God for three days in the belly of the fish, after God had brought the fish as a provision, not as a punishment, as he brought him back, not to pay him back, but to give him a second chance at what God had anointed him to do, Jonah is furious with God. He loses his temper. He yells at God. God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. And what happens is we get a behind-the-scenes sneak peak b-roll camera angle to why Jonah was really really running I knew this was going to happen this is why I ran off to Tarshish see I knew that you were sheer grace and mercy not easily angered you were rich in love ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness so, God, if you won't kill them, you might as well kill me because I'm better off dead. What? The man of God? What? Running from God and then given a second chance and follows through with his assignment and he still is feeling this way? And here's how the Lord replies to him. The Lord replied, is it right for you? To be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? So listen, everybody. Last week, 
Last week, I said, if we fixate on the fish, we'll miss the elephant. And the second part of your notes right there, number two there on the second part, it reminds us that this is a story not about a fish, not about the Jonah and the fish. This is a story about, God, about disobeying God's clear directions and running from God. But that's not the only part of the lesson of this story. Okay, that's a big lesson. That's a big important piece. But can I tell you what's just as important in this story? It's also a story about ignoring God's clear character. See, the truth is, there are those that, that say, I'm a Christian. There are those, you may even come to this church and you, you say, I want to obey you, God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to follow what you say to do. But when it comes to the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, you got that one. But then you've struggled with the whole second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And so you can be obeying God and at the same time ignoring God's clear character because you are rude and you're kind of a jerk to people. And, and, and all you want to do is beat up on non-Christians or people that don't have a relationship with God. And you look at them down like Jonah looked at the Ninevites. And God's saying, this isn't just about running back to me. It's about having the right heart about people that I've created. It's, it's not just about just, yes, sir, no, sir, God, I'll follow you. I'm in the Lord's army. But it's like loving the people that God brings you in contact with every single day. And so maybe you, you may not be a Jonah in the context of running the opposite direction of God's word. But you may be a modern day Jonah when you obey God, but you're obeying God, but you're angered by his grace. You're upset that God would let things happen. You're upset that God gives the same amount of grace to someone who bows a knee today and you bowed 30 years ago. That he would want to heal hurting people. That he would love the pedophile. That he would, he would love the adulterer. That, that he, would love the, he would love the cheater. And the thief. And give grace to where when we bow a knee, no matter where we are, on this side of eternity, when we repent, he gives us a second chance. Don't be angered by his grace. Upset about people that aren't living for God. They're not living for God, so they're not going to be living for God. I mean, what do you expect non-Christians to act like? Here's another way. I'm a modern-day Jonah when I obey God, but... I'm overcommitted to my own comfort. I'm more concerned about my comfort. The rest of the story goes that Jonah ran outside the city, the east side of the city, ran up a hill, and he was waiting to watch the whole thing be burned. And he was hoping that it burned down, and he waits, and he waits, and nothing happens, and that's when he gets mad at God, and he makes himself a, makes himself a little covering. And then God, supernaturally, just like he brought the fish, God grows this leaf over Jonah's head in a matter of moments, and it brings him shade in that crazy Iraqi sun. 
brings him shade. But the very next day, God brings a worm and a worm eats up the leaf and it dissipates. And then the sun is beating down on Jonah's head. And again, you can read it for yourself later today. He says, oh, God, it just might as well kill me. I'm better off dead. And, and Jonah's mad that God would destroy the plant. And there's this interaction between God and Jonah. And God, God says, Jonah, you're mad at this plant. You're mad that I've destroyed this plant that you didn't create. And you want me to destroy people that I created? People, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, you want me to destroy them? You're more concerned about this plant and your comfort than my people and their salvation? He's trying to get it. He's trying to get it, Jonah. And he just didn't see it. He was just so overcommitted to his own comfort. And he was so angered by God's grace that he couldn't see the whole point of what God was trying to do. And really, here's the sad thing about the modern day Jonah. He was unconcerned with eternal things. He was so focused on the temporary. So focused on his prejudice against his selfishness against that, that he missed the eternal responsibility. Listen, everybody. Listen. We have an eternal responsibility at Timber Creek. And this church isn't designed for your own comfort. And you're going to be angry sometimes at the grace that, that, that is poured out at this church. We're just trying to be like Jesus with his grace. But I can also tell you we're going to be concerned about eternal things until heaven is full. Growth is not an option. We are going to put an inordinate amount of focus and finances on reaching unchurched people. People that have yet to hear the message. People that, that are nominal in their Christianity. People that need the hope of the world, which is the mobilized church coming to them and then them coming to us and seeing Jesus for who he really is. Jonah was unconcerned. And I'm asking you, will you pray for the lost? Will you remember that empty Seats in this auditorium are a big deal because they represent that person in that cubicle in your office. They represent that loved one. And we say Fran all the time. Your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbors, those empty seats represent those people. And we need to be concerned about eternal things. Dieball and Duncan, you've got some cellmates. You've got some people on your block. You've got some guys that have never gone to church with you on that night. I'm inviting you. Be concerned, not just about you and what you're getting today. Be concerned about eternal things, about the soul of those around us, that we would cry out to God, that we would keep him awake, as the book of Isaiah says. Keep me awake with your prayers, that we would be praying over cities like Nineveh and Lufkin and Dybal, and in just 60-some days, the Nacogdoches campus that's got a lot of churches in Nacogdoches, but it's still got thousands of people that without the message of Jesus, they will die and be separated from God for eternity unless they come face to face with the good news of God's grace. So I'm asking us, let's be concerned about the eternal things. Eternal things. Souls. Souls of people we know and we don't. To wrap it up today, in week one of Summer Cruise, I talked about how a lot of stories in their Bible are like shadows. They're, they're previews of Jesus. God gives us shadows in the Old Testament of what Jesus is going to look like. and It's like sneak peeks, sneak previews, if you will, coming soon attractions kind of thing. And we, can sit, we compared a couple weeks ago Moses to Jesus, and we gave some similarities. What I want to do now, just to wrap up, as we conclude our time together and we pray, 
Um, I want to show you some similarities between Jonah and Jesus. Um, both, uh, if you'll look at it, both were given a hard mission by God. Jonah was given a hard mission. Jesus was given a hard mission to seek and save that which was lost. Jonah and Jesus both, they sacrificed comfort and safety for others. They, they, Jonah was imperfect. Jesus was perfect. But both sacrificed comfort and safety. Both were left for dead for three days. One was in a fish and one was in a grave. Here's another thing that they're similar in. Both came back with a message of hope. Jonah to the city of Nineveh. Jesus <laughs> to the world. A message of hope. But unlike Jesus, Jonah was motivated by a selfish heart. Jonah wanted what was in it for him. Jonah wanted what he wanted. He couldn't see the bigger picture. He, he, he couldn't see the value of a soul in Nineveh, even though they were ruthless, bloodthirsty, sadistic warriors and savages. He, he, he couldn't get past his own selfish heart. Maybe the, only, maybe the only respect we give Jonah now, though, is the fact that the reason we know this story is because Jonah shared it. I mean, at least he was willing to confront how ugly this was. Like, if this was your autobiography, you probably wouldn't want to write it. But at least he wrote it down and gave it to us as a warning, as a story of what not to do, uh, and a story of God's unbelievable Grace. Jonah was motivated by a selfish heart, but Jesus is motivated by love. That's his motivation. He's, ne he's not mad at you. He's in love with you. That none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. That's why God sends his son into the world. That's why God sent his prophet into Nineveh. And that's why God has placed you where you are in your own opportunity where God says, speak, go to your office, speak, be that light to your family, speak. Yeah, you know what? You've, you've had some running over here. It doesn't disqualify you from the same assignment. Repent, get back on track, and then share your story because you never know what God has already primed. You never know how God has already stirred the heart and is gonna join with you to see people far from God. Find and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Would you just close your eyes with me this morning, heads bowed, all locations. Father, thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Father, I pray that there would be an urgency upon all of us today. An urgency that would look a little different based on where we are. So God, I pray for an urgency to respond to your calling. For those that, that have been running from you, that they would respond today to your calling. You're wooing them. You're, you're activating them. This is just the intersection. This isn't starting from scratch. You've already been talking to them and now... It's the moment of salvation. It's the moment of opportunity. I pray they would respond to you today. Jesus, be our Savior today. Forgive us and give us a fresh start. For those, Lord, that have an urgency, it's not the, of salvation, but it's an urgency of, of sharing the good news. I pray that that would be stirred up in their lives, in their sphere of influence, wherever they are, 
that they would be a Christian, that anyone can, can see God through and they can find and follow Jesus through them, that this church would be a community destination where anyone can find and follow Jesus so that more and more people would, would, would be in heaven and less and less people would go to hell. Not, not, not because it's, a pun, it, it, it's, it's simply separated from you. Hell is this place is separated from you and we choose to be separated. Oh God, may we share the good news so that, that heaven will be more and more full of those that put their hope in you. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the opportunities around us and we would stay focused on the eternal things, that we would be willing to give up some comfort and that they would, we would be the kind of people that extend grace to people, grace and truth. Because that's what you give. May we give what you give. And we ask it in your precious name. And everybody said amen.